0: Bob Buford wrote a book entitled Half-Time, and the book is about the second half of one's life. The first half of life is spent in kind kind of a frenetic, frantic way of growing up, going to college, getting a job. Going to trade school, getting a job, finding someone that you can have as your mate for the rest of your life, beginning that family, sometimes you have the opportunity to plan it and sometimes it's planned for you. And the frantic nature of being a parent of a young child, you go through all those stages of childhood when they're in diapers, you think, I can't wait until their potty broke. When they crawl, I can't wait till they walk. And when they begin talking, I can't wait till they hush. And they just keep talking and talking and talking. And then our children get in junior high and high school, and the pace doesn't get any easier, any slower. And we're frantically chasing them from spot to spot involved in their lives. Many of you had, were band parents and are band parents. Like my children chasing football and chasing heifers and steers on the other side. And it's just a frantic time of life. It's hard to appreciate where you're at, what you have, because everything's just so overwhelming and chaotic at that time. And then the time comes in which that first one goes to college. I remember Daryl telling me and Jody, Daryl and Marlene telling me and Jody, we didn't know what to do when we were taking Cody Glenn to Florida and leaving him there. And Daryl said, it'll all turn out okay, it'll be all right. And among the inimitable things that Daryl said in a wise way, that was one of many. And it has been all right and turned out all right. But we didn't think so that day when we left him. I'll never forget. We're in the hotel room there, and I told him, and I said, "Son, your mother's going to want to hold you, and you let her hold you as long as she wants, as long as she wants to." And so we're standing there, and she held him, and I mean, she just kept holding, holding, and holding, and holding, and holding, and holding. And, holding. and Cody was just so patient with her, and finally I said. Okay, babe, that's enough. Not a good thing to say. Y'all think she's so sweet? Let me tell you, that was a look. And I hushed. And she held him some more. And then your grandkids come and the second half of life begins. You've established yourself. You have a modicum of income and abilities that you can now have as resources. And the second half of your life begins. And it becomes even richer because of all that you have been able to build and now share with those who mean the most to you, your children and your grandchildren, and those with whom you have an affinity of a common faith. Halftime is not the end of life. It's where it really begins. And while Moses was not particularly at this moment in the half time of his life, he lives to be 120 years old. But at this moment, when he's 80 years old, God calls him to do something. 40 years prior to this, you're familiar that Moses thought he had the answer to the Egyptians persecution of God's people that when he saw this Egyptian slaying a Hebrew he would just stand up and fight and defend them and I think Moses is thinking this is time for me to begin and everybody's going to appreciate what I did but instead they get he gets that look and he flees and now he is a Bedouin shepherd for 40 years He spent the first 40 years of his life in the palace of Pharaoh, being educated by Pharaoh's daughter. Also, his homeschooling was by his mother because she had been asked to come and nurse him. And so he has his Egyptian education. He has his Hebrew education. And his Hebrew education is beginning to win out over the Egyptian education. But he has that 40 years of preparatory time in in the house of Pharaoh, which is significant for him. And now he goes and spends 40 years in the wilderness as a Bedouin shepherd. And those 40 years were equally as important to prepare him for the task that God is going to call him back to. Just imagine what it would have been had he not spent the time in the house of Pharaoh and then been called, or had he not spent the time as a Bedouin shepherd and then been called. God has been preparing him for these 80 years now to come and and accept this insurmountable task that he's going to be asked to do. And that is to deliver the children of Israel from bondage and then lead this fretful, petty, whining, baby group of people, two plus million people for 40 years. He had to have been the meekest of men to do that. Anyone less than that would not have been able to do it. When God calls him, Moses is resistant at first. And you're familiar with the excuses that he gives, but one thing he never says to God is at age 80, he's only got 40 more years to live. He's past the halftime now. One thing he never says is, I'm too old. He says, I can't talk, which I'm not sure was altogether true because Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, he was very eloquent. And then a couple other things that he says, but basically God removes the excuses from him and says, you go and tell them, I am has sent you. But Moses never says, you know, God, I really have had a very comfortable life out in the desert as a shepherd. I'd really just rather go back there because I'm too old to do that. At age 80, God says, go. And Moses then went and spent the rest of his life leading God's people. And so I'd like, first of all, to think with you just a little bit about some life lessons from from Moses himself. And when I think about these life lessons from Moses, one thing that that Max ended with was this idea of commitment. Moses began to build a close relationship with God. You know, there's there's more to a relationship with God than just simply... Dotting the I's and crossing the T's of every commandment. I'm not diminishing the importance of that. But if we dot every I and cross every T of every commandment, but fail to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, then we've missed what the commandments were intended to produce in our hearts. The commandments are, are not supposed, are not intended to be a checklist of things for us. They're intended to lead us to have the heart of God. And Moses is developing this close relationship with God. I'm reminded of the words of David in Psalm chapter 51. Remove not your spirit from me. Do not depart from me. Here David has come to this pensive moment in his life where now Nathan has confronted him and he realizes that he's departed from God. God hasn't departed from him. And he pleads God, ple- he pleads with God, please don't depart from me. I need that close relationship with God. I'm impressed. In Genesis chapter 5, it says of Enoch, he walked with God and he was no more. I can just imagine being down at Starbucks that morning having his breve latte and his croissant with his drinking coffee drinking buddies. And that two o'clock in the afternoon, they're saying, where's Enoch? I don't know. We drink coffee with him this morning. He is no more. Why? He's been walking with God. Instead of Noah, he found favor with God. These are people who developed a relationship with God and Moses is developing that close, close relationship with God. Life in Christ is not about growing old. Life in Christ is about developing a close relationship with God that keeps us ever, ever new. The second thing I think that we see from the life of Moses is that that he also accepted his limitations. He accepted his limitations. Think about this. In Exodus chapter 17... You're familiar with the story. The Amalekites are now fighting the Israelites. Probably the Israelites, Myceomeo is about six weeks out, about six weeks out of, of bondage here. And now the Amalekites come and, and they're fighting the Israelites. Moses is 80 years old. He's too old to go fight. So he sits on top of a hill and he lets Joshua take care of the fight. And you have Aaron and her that are holding up his arms. He accepts his limitations. He knows there's something that Joshua can do that he can't do at this point. And yet there's something he can do that Joshua can't do. Because as long as his arms are held up, Israel wins. But he's not leading the fight. Second occasion. is Moses' life is busy 24-7. I mean, he's got people coming at him 24 7, bombarding him with question after question, requiring judgment after judgment. And old wise Jethro, his father in law, came to him and said, Listen, buddy, you're going to wear yourself out doing this. This is way too much, way too many people for you to handle. What you need to do is you need to divide. You need to divide the workload here. And instead of Moses saying, No, I got it, I can handle it, 80 years, I'm up to it, I got it. He accepts Jethro's advice and brings on 70 individuals to help him with the judgment of Israel. The third occasion in which he accepts his limitations, I think, might have been a little more challenging for him. Because it contained a criticism, too. But not just a criticism. It came from two people that were perhaps the closest to him his brother and his sister. And they come and they tell him, you take on too much for yourself. I'm not really convinced that Miriam and Aaron were were really concerned that Moses had taken on too much for himself. As much as they were concerned with, Moses is getting more attention than we're getting. And so what we're going to do is, we're going to tear him down So we'll look bigger. But as hard as that was, Moses listened and was able to listen to a critic and learn from that. Another lesson that we learn from Moses, in addition to the limitations, in addition to his being close to the Lord is, and this really had to do with his legacy. He was able to raise another leader. Joshua had shadowed Moses even up on top of the mountain and was with Moses when he comes down and hears the people playing and dancing. I don't know that he was with Moses exactly when God gave Moses the commandments but he had gone up on the mountain with Moses And he had shadowed Moses every step of the way. And Deuteronomy chapter 34. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 34 with me just a moment. Look at the last part of Deuteronomy chapter 34. And and listen to, to what is said here. Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 9. Deuteronomy 34 and verse 9. Now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded. But since then there's not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants and all his land, and by all that mighty power and all that great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Who's with Moses while he's doing that? was with him there. And remember that fateful decision that Moses makes that day with that rock? And as a result of that, he's not able to finish what he started, but he's going to hand it off to Joshua. And Joshua's going to lead. Joshua's going to lead. Joshua's prepared to lead the children of Israel across the land. You see, a Legacy Weekend, as Jordan said, is not just about, okay, we got some old guys and one really young guy that's sandwiched in between to come and tell us what it is about growing old. <laughs> it is about celebrating legacy. But furthermore, it's about handing off the legacy. Think about that just a moment. When Jody and I moved here, we had nobody in the age of 90. Nobody in the age of 90 group. We might have had one or two in the 80 group. And maybe a handful in the 70 age group. 60s might have been a handful plus. Had maybe two handfuls in the 50s. We had hordes in the 30 age group. My sweet Jana and sweet Brian were seniors in high school and now they're in that 40 age group of which we had not quite as many as we had in the 30 age group. Not really until Phyllis and Edgar came over from Arlington did we begin to Accumulate and assimilate some people of age, and then those in the fifties. I think Daryl was like fifty-three, fifty-four when I moved here. They kept living and kept living and kept living, and we finally accumulated some people in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. And now we have a potful in the nineties, and a potful in the eighties, and a potful in the seventies. And that group of 30s is just big in the 60s and plus that, we still have maintained the average age within the last 31 years of age 32, which is exactly what it was when Jody and I moved here. Why? Because our young families keep having young families. But here's the point of that it's legacy. I didn't know Howard Raleigh, but the one man I heard of the most when I first moved here was Howard Raleigh. I had known Gail P. Beaver as a young boy. My uncle George Slover taught Gail P. Beaver how to lead singing at Pleasant Run in Lancaster. And yes, even back then, Gail had that funny twitch with his eyebrow. And the only guy I ever knew that would use a tuning fork to lead the singing. For years, this church had no shepherds. Then Ray Peden, by Bolton, and Daryl Davis became the first three shepherds. Within six months, Ray left. That left remaining Bob and Daryl. Eventually, two more were appointed, Glenn Hartzell and Joe Fagan. And with the passing of time, it was just Joe and Daryl. For years, as this church was in the growth states, it was just Joe and Daryl. And then Charlie King was added. And then Breck and I were added, and six months later, Charlie left. We threw him out. <laughs> no, he'd lost his job and had to go to Virginia to find a job. And then a few years later, we had a James and Terry and Mike and Rick. And then we got sick of Mike and sent him to Houston. Do you see what's happened here? Our deacons. Well, I was a deacon when I moved here, but many of the men that are deacons were not deacons when I moved here. Again, I was a senior in high school. The important thing about this church, and it must be essential, is legacy. If this church, this church, by the way, today, well, it's off a little bit on date, but Masa Menos, We celebrate 19 years in this building this month. In November, we'll celebrate 60 years of this congregation's existence. For 60 years, this church, that's via my historian Nancy Gray. So my historian back here is the one that keeps me informed on that. For 60 years, this church has stood solid. For Christ. And here's the challenge. One day. One day. As unbelievable as it will be to me. Because I never imagined the other. We won't have Joe. Just like we don't have Daryl. And one day. You won't have the other five. here's the question will the legacy continue will you men be preparing yourselves to accept the baton of shepherding for the next sixty years Moses Perhaps greatest work with Israel was legacy. I followed Bob Bolton who followed Jack Holt. Two men sound in the Word of God. Two men strong in the Word of God. I've tried to do that. But more than that, I'm trying to hand the legacy to a young man strong in the Word of God. So the Word of God will may remain preeminent and primary as the important motivating factor of this church. My question is this will you accept the challenge But before that, we must be preparing the legacy for this church to follow like Israel followed Joshua. And so, there are some lessons for us, I think, that are important to think about. First of all... In our second half of life, it may be that this is the time for our greatest time of usefulness. Maybe in that first half of life, we couldn't do what we wanted to do because we were working. We were trying to make a living. We We were trying to put food on the table. We were trying to provide. But maybe now, I couldn't study as much as I wanted to. Now I can. I couldn't visit as much as I wanted to. Maybe now I can. I, I love this quote that I found regarding this by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He said, for age is opportunity, no less than youth itself, though in another dress. And as the evening twilight fades away, the sky fill with stars, invisible day by day. It's a great opportunity. It's not the end of life. Okay, maybe your hip hurts, but hey, you got up and your hip hurts. It's a great day to have a hip hurting. Why? Because it's another opportunity. When you woke up this morning, did you, did you think to yourself, this is the best day of the week? <laughs> because it's the Lord's day, and I get to come today with people of like precious faith <coughs> who I love to what? To hear the word of God and to see God. What a great opportunity. (coughs) And then I think another is (coughs) to develop a purpose. (coughs) That's what I get for unloading there. Hit the strain button, (coughs) develop a purpose. Statistically, and you make statistics what you want, it is said that five years after a man retires, he dies. Again, statistics, you can make what you want, and there are exceptions to, there are exceptions to statistics. Why would you think that would be the case? Because he loses his purpose. That story in Luke chapter 12 That rich farmer that's there, and man, he's successful in farming. I mean, things just blowing off the the fields for him. He loses his purpose. He said, I'm going to sit down. I'm just going to enjoy this. I'm going to sit down, look at my crops. I'm just going to enjoy this. I'm done working. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to enjoy this. He lost a sense of purpose. If our purpose has been before raising our families, investing in our families, then now our purpose can broaden to a larger family. (coughs) But then, sometimes, our purpose narrows back down to the help of our grandkids. I tell you, Mark and Judy Kelly, they are a prince and princess with how they help their grandkids. That's a part of their purpose. They've not quit doing that. Our purpose still is valid. It's as valid in the second half of life as it was the first half of life. And then we can be honest about our strengths and weaknesses and threats. Our strengths may be more opportunities. Our weakness may be financial limitations. Our threats may be health. I like this statement by Plato who said, The spiritual eyesight improves as the physical eyesight declines. The spiritual eyesight improves as the physical declines. Max can't see without his glasses, but I guarantee his spiritual eyesight is better now than when he was, first began preaching 50 years ago. Max talked about the perspective as you get older. I get to see that through my parents. As you know, 95, 92, I get to see that by listening to mom and dad. Listen they love us, they love the grandkids, they love the great grandkids, but this world holds nothing to them. This world's done. My dad lives for my mom, my mom lives for my dad. Other than that, this world's done. The greater purpose is, it's time to go see God. And so we have that that opportunity. And then I think about experience, maturity, and qualifying for special work for the Lord. You have experience now, you have maturity, and it qualifies you for the Lord. I think back to, to, to Joshua, and I think about Moses again. How many young preachers have held their hands up like, like, like Moses' hands were held up because some mature, experienced person was praying for them? And some mature, experienced person said, can I have lunch with you and share some things with you? Maybe some things that can help you? See, I fear sometimes what we're doing is we're waiting to be appointed. Because I'm not appointed an elder. I'm not appointed a deacon. I can't do anything. Listen, Anna didn't wait to be appointed. She was just waiting to see the Lord. And then she died. And she was four score and five years old. Kevin mentioned Gladys Fight yesterday. Gladys Fight's definition of old, she said, came from the Bible. The Bible says Anna was four score and five years old and she was old. So, Max, you're not 85 yet, buddy. You're still young. But look, she didn't wait to be appointed. Well, I've not been asked to be an elder. I've not been asked to be a Bible class teacher. Look, there are a number of things you can do besides being an elder and a Bible class teacher. And look, if you're fascinated with being an elder so bad, listen, I'll I'll hand it off to you. I'll let you have it. Sometimes it's not all it's cooked up to be. But you have experience. You have maturity to help others. But then I want to conclude in the last few minutes as the bell's just rung with this one last thing and that is, what are you going to do when you reach the top of the hill? Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 34 if you've closed your Bibles. I remember when Ronald Reagan died, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico in a gospel meeting. And because he was one of my favorite all-time presidents in my life, I really kind of just drank in the whole proceeding of everything that was there about Reagan. I really loved George Washington. I was not like Cal, who was around when George Washington died, but uh, I'm sure Cal can tell you about his funeral, it was just as great as Reagan's, but what are we seeing now, what, are we, what, are we, what have we experienced now, historically, what have we, what have we just experienced as a world, we have just experienced the death of a monarch who reigned 70 years, and lived 96 years, faithful to the commitment and the vows she made to her people. And we are seeing pomp and circumstance like we've never seen pomp and circumstance take place. What about Moses? Deuteronomy chapter 34 it says, beginning in verse 1, that Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I've caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him. In the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Because of that day, he failed with the rock. God said, You can't enter the land. But God allowed him to go to the top of the mountain to see the land. Not in a decrepit state, but in strength and vigor. And then God buried him. When we get to the top of the mountain, what are we going to see? Are we like Moses, going to see the land, that which has been promised to us eternally by God? Yes, but you don't understand. <laughs> Turn to Ezekiel chapter eighteen, just to understand all the things that have happened in my life that just that just can't be overcome. Deuteronomy chapter eighteen, look beginning verse twenty one. If a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed and keeps all his statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely not die. What that says is you can live your life as long as you want and it can be as filled with debauchery as possible but you come to a time of repentance in your life in obedience to the Lord and what he says is all the wickedness and all the iniquity of your life shall not you shall not die. On the other hand, if you look at verse 24, you can live the most righteous life all your life and the last few years just throw it away. And he says in verse 24, But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of unfaithfulness of which he is guilty, the sin which he committed, because of them he shall die. It doesn't matter how we've spent our lives, if we then turn our lives to the Lord, all the iniquities will be forgotten. They can be forgiven. He shall live. But it doesn't matter how righteous we have lived. If we have lived right up to the time, the days before we die, and we then turn to live a life of iniquity and debauchery, He says, He shall die. You have it on both sides. And so, what will we see when we reach the top of the mountain? I want to close with this quote from the inimitable, wise Mr. Rogers. The fact you're older now, instead of diminishing, the fact you're older older now, instead of diminishing your impact on the world, will allow you to break forth in a way you never had before. Perhaps the greenness of youth is gone, but in its place is a wisdom that allows your true colors to be displayed. I believe you're just now entering a season when some of your talents, those still hidden in your heart, will begin to emerge. It is a season of incomprehensible beauty. Great words. When we see the top of the mountain, it will not be based upon what we were when we were 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60. It will be based upon who we are. And what we are at that time. I love you all. Thank you so much. Look forward to hearing Ken in a few moments. We'll stand at ease. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at the bibleway.com we'd love to have you in person come if you can but thank you for connecting with us